This morning, I am beginning a new series, and it will be on the book of Romans. Paul probably wrote the book of Romans around 57 AD on his third missionary journey from the city of Corinth. Romans is a unique book because Paul is writing to a people that he does not know personally. Paul had never visited the church at Rome up until this point. The church had been in existence for years prior to Paul having written this letter. We know that from Romans chapter 15, verse 23, that tells us, uh, but now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since, now these words, I have longed for many years to come to you. So Paul says that for many years it had been his desire to visit the church at Rome. Hence, it was in existence for many years before Paul wrote the book. Since Paul had never visited Rome prior to writing of the letter, he is known to them only by reputation, only by what they have heard concerning him. There appears to have been some unrest in the church at Rome as it relates to the Apostle Paul and his failure to visit them to this date. For there are a number of allusions in the book that tell us of some of the concerns that people evidently had, some misconceptions about Paul. Perhaps they thought that Paul did not care about them. So verse 11, he says, For I long to see you. Perhaps Paul is all word and no actions. Verse 13, I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, but I have often intended to come to you, but have pre been prevented thus far. Perhaps Paul had not tried hard enough to come to the Romans. Verse 15, I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. So Paul is... Uh, introducing himself to them, and he does so in the form of this greeting. Romans chapter 1, 1 and following. In the Greek, the first seven verses are all one long, complex, and complicated sentence, which means that everything in these seven verses is intricately wrought with each other. They are intertwined. They build on and are informed by what proceeds. For example, in verse 1, Paul says he's called to be an apostle. Verse 6, we find out that we are called to belong to Christ. Verse 7, we find out we're called to be saints. We're going to look at those ideas next week. For this morning, our attention is going to be given solely to verse 1. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. In verse 1, Paul uses three phrases to describe who he is and what ministry he's been entrusted. At first glance, it might seem that this is not much of an introduction of himself to a people that he never met. However, it actually tells us a great deal about how he views himself and his ministry. It tells us about his 
priorities. It provides us with a great understanding of what makes Paul tick. Why is Paul the way he is? How he is to be understood. So we're going to look at each one of these three phrases in some detail to find out more of what we are to learn about the Apostle Paul. First, Paul identifies himself as a servant of Christ Jesus. Notice Romans 1, verse 1. Paul, a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. What is to be conveyed in the idea that Paul is a servant of Christ? Well, we know in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20, it says, For you are not your own, for you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. There is a responsibility and a duty that's associated with being a servant. But to speak of a servant speaks in terms of complete and utter devotion to a master. Uh, another translation with this would be a bond slave. Uh, as we think of slavery, we have uh, a context of uh, that which was just prior to the Civil War and all of the way in which uh, slavery in the United States was manifested. There are a lot of differences between the slavery in the United States and the slavery of the New Testament. But there are some things in common as well. What we're to understand first and foremost is that a servant is one whose complete and utter devotion is to their master. First and foremost, a servant is at the beck and call of his master. The servant is not free to come and go as he pleases. A servant is not allowed to just engage in his own activities and whims. This is very important as Paul is going to address the issue of his not having come to Rome. They need to understand he's a servant. Paul's life was bound up with serving Christ. That was what he was about. That's what he did. That was his life 24 hours a day. He was a servant to Jesus Christ. To be a servant speaks of an accountability to a master. A servant must please his master and no one else. A servant must do what his master wants him to do. In this instance, Paul must please the Lord Jesus as opposed to pleasing the Romans. In Romans 14.4, he says, Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls and will be upheld. For the Lord is making him to stand. So there is a unique accountability that a servant has to his master that he has to no one else. Uh, he's accountable to God. And then thirdly, though Paul is a servant, Paul serves God not out of compulsion but willingly. We can get the wrong concept as we think in the Bible when it talks about our being servants of the Lord Jesus Christ or Paul being a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. For when we think of uh, slavery, uh, we think of people that are taken against their will. We think of people that are held in bondage. We, are think, we think of people that are whipped. We think of people that are uh, mistreated. We think of people that are abused. For that is often the way in which slavery was manifested uh, in our country. But it's quite different 
quite different as we think about the Lord Jesus Christ being our Lord and Master. For he is gracious. For he's bought us in order to enter into a wonderful and glorious service. So Paul makes it clear in verse 9, if you look with me there, God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son. Paul is serving willingly. He is serving with his spirit. He is not serving out of compulsion, but he is serving willingly. He is serving with delight. He is serving with joy. He is serving with thankfulness. So his service is being rendered in a way that indeed uh, Paul is grateful to be a servant. But not only is Paul a servant, but it tells us that he is called to be an apostle. Called to be an apostle. First of all, Paul is called, which means that he is drafted. He is drafted. Uh, Some of us can remember when there was a draft, and we were concerned about being called up, was the phrase that was used. That meant that you were going to receive a summons from Uncle Sam that told you that you were going to be engaged in military service. Paul is called. He's an apostle as a result of the divine initiative. Apostleship is not a role that Paul took upon himself. Paul did not thrust himself upon the church as an apostle. In fact, Paul did not even volunteer for or seek to be an apostle. He was called or summoned to that position by the Lord. For one might ask who had called him. For it simply says in Romans 1.1, Paul called to be an apostle. Who called him? Well, the text tells us later on that it's none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. If you look at verses 4 and 5, and was declared to be the Son of God in power, according to the Spirit of holiness, by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship. So it was the Lord Jesus Christ who had called the Apostle Paul. It was the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. And he did receive a literal call. If you remember uh, the story of Paul's conversion, Paul is traveling on the road to Damascus. He is out to persecute the church. And as he is traveling, all of a sudden he is blinded by a great light. And the Lord Jesus Christ appears unto him and says, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? That was the beginning of this call that Paul had received from the Lord Jesus Christ. And it was a call that was not based upon merit, but one that had been based upon grace, according to verse 5. Through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith. So it wasn't the wonderful works that Paul had done that qualified him to be an apostle, but it was rather the grace of God. There was nothing in him that merited this responsibility or duty. And then lastly, it says that Paul is an apostle. An apostle is a sent one. It's a position with dignity and honor. It's also a position 
with great responsibility. An apostle would be a representative of Christ, like an ambassador. He would be delivering the message that Christ wanted communicated to those to whom he was sent. After Paul was blinded on the road to Damascus, Paul was told to go to the house of Ananias, who would tell Paul what God wanted Paul to do. Jesus told Ananias what to tell Paul. Acts 19.15, it says this, But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, for he, that is Paul, is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. He is a chosen one. He is a sent one. I have chosen him to be an instrument to take my name before the Gentiles, before the kings, and before the children of Israel. As an apostle of Jesus Christ, he is to go where Jesus wants him to go and say what Jesus wants him to say. So Paul writes in verse 10, Always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will I may now at last succeed in coming to you. See, Paul is addressing what drives him, what motivates him, what governs his decision-making process. Why is it that he has not yet come to Rome? Well, you need to understand who I am. First, I'm a servant. I don't get to decide where I go and what I do. I'm under the directions and the mandates of someone else. I must serve my master. Secondly, I have been sent. I'm a, an apostle. I'm a chosen one that God has given a responsibility to. And then thirdly, Paul says that he's separated unto the gospel. Notice the end of verse 1. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, and now this, set apart for the gospel of God. The phrase set apart is not the normal word that we find to be sanctified. Uh, oftentimes, uh, the word sanctified is translated as to be set apart, uh, to be uh, different from, to be holy. This is not the word that's used in Romans chapter 1, verse 1. This word does not mean to be sanctified, but rather it's a word for an appointment. It is a word that talks about being set apart for a specific task or duty. It's like if all of us were gathered here and I said to this, this group over here, now you, what I want you to do this, this afternoon is after the fellowship meal is done, you're going to do the dishes. And this group, you're going to be set apart to announce what tables go first. This group, you're going to be set apart to, I don't know, man the tables, make sure that there's enough food on them, whatever. But the point is to be set apart for a specific task or duty. Paul says that he's been set apart for the gospel of God. He is being singled out for a special functions. Paul's job description centers upon the gospel. 
Paul's service and apostleship are directly related to the gospel. It, it's like there are, there are boundaries, okay? That, that when Paul looks at his ministry, what is Paul about? What does God want him to do? Paul's ministry is the gospel. That's what he's set apart for. It's the gospel. Now, when Paul says that his ministry is the gospel, that has three distinct manifestations. First, it included his ministry of explaining the gospel. Explaining the gospel. If you notice in Romans 1.15, it says, I'm eager to preach the gospel to you who are at Rome also. Now that's interesting. Why is Paul eager to preach the gospel at Rome knowing that these are people that have already submitted themselves to the gospel? These are people of faith. He talks about being mutually encouraged by those uh, of, of mutual faith. But he says to these believers, I'm eager to preach the gospel to you. And it doesn't even say the word. But he says, I am eager to preach the gospel to you. These are adherents of the gospel. In Romans chapter 15, verse 15, Paul says this. You just need to listen. But on some points... I have written to you very boldly. Paul says, I have written this letter to you very boldly because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God. So Paul says, I have written this letter out of my responsibility to preach the gospel of God. Don't miss that. The book of Romans, in its entirety, is a book about the gospel. The doctrines that we often speak of that are contained in the book of Romans are understood in relationship to the gospel. For example, what about those people who have never heard about the Lord Jesus Christ? What is their end? What is their destiny? What does the gospel have to do with them? Do they have to hear the gospel? That's Romans 1, 2, and 3. What about people who have never heard the gospel? Why is it that people reject the gospel? The doctrine of human depravity explains why people do not believe and accept the gospel. Because we are sinful. There is none that understands. There is no one who seeks after God. No, not one. Well, if there's no one who understands, and if there's no one who seeks after God, then why is anybody saved? Why does anybody come to place their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? That's the doctrine of election of why it is that some people come to place their faith in Lord Jesus Christ because of the work of God in their lives. That's the doctrine of election. 
Well, if people are chosen to be saved, then do we really need to be concerned about the gospel at all? Do we really need to be concerned about sharing the gospel? Right after his teaching on election in Romans 8 and 9, we get to Romans 10. My prayer and desire for Israel that they might be saved. Listen to the words of Romans 10, 14 and 15. How will they, uh, starting with verse 13, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Number one, I'm just reading the scripture now. How then will they call on him whom they have not believed? How can a person call on a person that they've never believed in? Number two, how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? How are they going to call upon Jesus if they never heard of Jesus? Number three, and how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. You see, all of the book of Romans is the explanation of how the gospel works. And also, what is the main goal of the gospel? What is it that God is about? What is it that uh, God is going to do? Uh, this great ministry that uh, is given to us. <clears throat> well, I'll save that for next week. Next, Paul's ministry included defending the gospel. Romans 1.16. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also the Greek. So he defends the truth of the gospel. But lastly, for the Apostle Paul... The gospel is to be spread to all nations. Verse 5. Through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith. Now there is the purpose of the gospel. The gospel is to result in obedient lives. That's why we are called to belong to God. That's why we are called to be saints. It is to produce a change in relationship to God for the sake of his name among all nations. Paul's first and primary ministry was to preach the gospel to those who had never heard. Turn with me to Romans chapter 15. Romans chapter 15. I'm going to start with verse... 17. It says, In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. And thus, I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. 
Verse 22, circle it. It's a main point in the book of Romans. This is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you. The reason is my ministry is to share the gospel with people who haven't heard. You have heard. You have believed. I have been given the responsibility of taking the gospel to a people who haven't heard before. There were others who were entrusted with the responsibility of, of growing and nurturing and developing that church. That is not Paul's primary responsibility. He said, in all these years, I would love to come, but I'm a servant. I don't decide where I go and where I don't go. I'm an apostle. I'm a person who's sent. I go where God wants me to go. And God has set me apart for the gospel. Yes, there's value in my explaining the gospel to you, as I do in this letter, to defend the gospel. But my primary responsibility is to take the gospel to people who haven't heard. That's what I'm about. That's why God has saved me. That's why God has, has chosen me. That's what God has given me to do. Verse 23, but now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I've longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain, and to be helped on my journey there by you once I've enjoyed your company for a while. So Paul says, I preach the gospel in this whole area. <laughs> so now I'm free to come to you, for I've fulfilled the work that God has given me to do. Why hadn't Paul come to the Romans? It's because he's a servant. It's because he's called. It's because he's been separated apart of the gospel. It is with that singleness of heart and mind that Paul can say at the end of his life, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I've kept the faith. I've done all that God wants me to do. I have done all that God wants me to do. At the end of your life, that's what you want to be able to say. I have fulfilled the purpose for which God has called me. That requires making tough choices. For there are millions of good things that you could do. For Paul, it was going to Rome. Man, here is a church that wants him to come. Here is a church that wants to have a relationship to Paul. And they're getting upset because Paul hasn't come. For years he hasn't come. Paul says, you don't get it. I'm a servant. I go where my master wants me to go. I go where I'm told to go. I've been set apart for the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's important for us that we set a priority in our lives to do what God has called us to do. Now there are some general things that God called all of us to do and we're going to look at that next week. But as we think about the, the specifics of what God wants us to do and how this whole epistle uh, intertwines, 
Turn with me to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, I'll say much more about this in weeks to come, but just to help with application this morning. Romans 12, looking at verse 6. Having gifts, uh, let me give you a little bit more of the context, excuse me. Starting with verse 3. For by grace given to me, I say to every one of you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned him. So this idea is don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to think has two implications. One, don't think you can do everything. And number two, don't think what it is that you do is the most important thing in the world. Don't get puffed up and thinking that you can do everything or that what you do are the most important thing in the world. Verse four, for as in the body we have many members and the members do not all have the same function. In the body you have an eye, you have an ear, you have a tongue. They don't all do the same thing. The eye sees, the ear hears, tongue speaks. Can't do it all. The eye can't hear and can't speak and the ear can't speak and see and they're all important. Now verse 6. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith. If service in our serving. The one who teaches in teaching. The one exhorts in exhortation. The one who contributes or gives in generosity. In other words, do what God has for you to do. You have a gift, use it, Paul says. So what is really essential for us is to understand our spiritual gift, to understand how God has uniquely saved and gifted me to do what God wants me to do, and then simply do that. Do what God has uniquely gifted you to do, and don't let all the other voices out there distract you from that. Don't let everybody that says, come over here, we need you. Or, if you were really dedicated, you would be doing this. Or, this is what I'm interested in, you need to be interested in that too. No, you're a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you are to be doing what God wants you to do. I learned early on in my ministry that the opportunities for service are myriad. There are so many things that we can do in serving the Lord. I've also had people that thought that they knew what God's will was for my life. Uh, some people were pretty adamant. How many of you can remember Bill Mull? That's a, okay, about 10 old timers. 
Bill Mole was a, was a missionary, and he was involved with a, a school, and every time I saw Bill Mole, and I mean that, every time, he would take me aside and say, Cal, you know, God wants you to be teaching in a seminary in Africa. You should be over there teaching in a seminary in Africa. You have the gifts to teach. Every time I'd see him, he'd say, you need to be in Africa. I've had other people tell me I need to be in the the seminary in the United States. I've had opportunities to teach full time. That's where you need to be. That's what God wants you to do. I knew from the time that I was 10 years old that God called me to be a pastor. I love to teach. And there is a relationship. We are pastors, teachers. But I know that if I were to be in an academic setting full-time and apart from the, the pastorate, I would not be doing what God wants me to do. God wants me to be here. You need to know what God wants you to do. Where does God want you to be? That's the question. Not what are the needs, not what are the opportunities, for that's going to lead you down the wrong road. It's simple. What does God want you to do? And the first way of answering that question is, what gifts has he given to me? What are my strengths? What are my weaknesses? And to pray and to seek out. I'm going to talk about that in much more detail as the weeks unfold. But I'm saying to you this morning, as application, Paul is beginning the book of Romans and introducing himself to this church that doesn't know him at all except by reputation. And they are upset because he has never come to visit them. And he says to them, you need to understand who I am. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ. I'm accountable to him. He's my master. He tells me what to do. I'm an apostle called by God. He he has chosen me. I didn't even volunteer for this. I wasn't looking for this. He has called me. He has chosen me by name. And we're going to get to the wonderful thing about Romans is that every single person who is born again is called by God. By name. The gospel is not just a generic representation of a people that come together, but it's a working of the Spirit of God that has brought each and every one of us into a saving relationship of Jesus Christ if we know him as our Lord and Savior. And he had a reason for doing so. Fulfill the purpose of God in saving you. Is a message of the book of Romans. He's a servant. He's called. Set apart for the gospel. 
But that's who Paul is. Not everyone is set apart for the gospel in that way. It's interesting. Paul says to those that have the gift of giving, give generously. If God has given you the unique ability to make money, if God has given you the ability to run a company or to be a salesman or whatever it is, but you're able to make money, then make it and give generously. It says if God has given you the, the gift of mercy, if God has given you that ability to have compassion upon others, to be concerned about their misery, their heartache, their situation in life, then serve him cheerfully. That is with joy and bringing joy in other people's lives. Help to alleviate their, their misery, their pain. If God's given you the gift of teaching, then teach. Spend your time studying the word of God. Pouring over it. And don't let somebody say, why are you wasting so much time reading the scriptures when there's this poor person over here? Well, let the poor person with the gift of mercy deal with that person. And the person who has the gift of teaching, give themselves to teaching. Not any one person. can right all the wrongs, do all the good that needs to be done, achieve all the purposes of God, collectively as God's people, and not even collectively in this church, collectively as God's people in this world, we can accomplish what God has for his church to do. We can have accomplished what God's purpose is for his people if each and every one of us are just doing what God wants us to do. I hope I can help you find that as we work through the book of Romans. But as we begin, I ask you to pray about that regularly. God, what would you have me to do? And then with all my heart and soul and mind, help me to do it. To give myself wholly to what you want me to do. And close my ears to everything else. And hopefully other people will appreciate that dedication. Even as Paul's writing to the Romans. Hoping that they will understand why he hasn't come. And appreciate the fact that he hasn't. Let's pray. Almighty God, help us. Thank you, Lord, that... If we know you as Lord and Savior, that we are yours by a divine choice. You have chosen us in Christ before the foundation of the world. It is no accident that we have come to faith. You have arrested us. You have brought us under your authority. You have given us faith. You have brought us into a relationship with yourself for a reason, for a purpose. Lord, help us to fulfill that purpose. Help us to give ourselves wholeheartedly to that, to that duty. Lord, help us to examine the gifts of the Spirit and to see how that gift can be used in our lives in a powerful way. Help us to develop it, to mature it, to discipline ourselves as there are so many voices.
So many opportunities. Oh God, lead us to do truly your will for us. Bless our time in your word. Glorify your name as we honor your lordship in our lives. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.